Well, good morning again. Before I do the scripture reading this morning, just want to—I know I think most all of us know in this room—but that Kathy Hapgood passed away this last week, and um, we love her. We're going to miss her. Encourage you to pray for all of the Hapgood family. Um, that God would be with them, help them, draw them to Himself close in a very tangible way. And that changed a bit of things up for me as I kind of thought and prayed about what to do today. So we are not going to be in First Corinthians. We're going to touch on it for a minute um, later on. But I just wanted to uh, address something different there's a title, it would be Genealogies, Jesus, and the Death of His Saints. And I just wanted to encourage us this morning to acknowledge in many ways the horror of the reality of death, but also the great good news that Jesus has conquered it. And that is our hope. What we confessed this morning, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And we say that in the face of death as an announcement of what is actually true and will be true. And so what I'm going to do this morning is we're just going to kind of walk through a few different things. Our scripture reading is going to be a genealogy, and I'm going to tell you why in a bit. But Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 to 24. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, He created them. And He blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. It's God's word. So just a couple things I want you to notice in Genesis chapter 5. The first very obvious point 
every one of them died, except for Enoch. We'll get that in a minute. But I want you to notice in verses 1 to 3, just as a reminder, as we frame the way that we think about life and the way that we think about our faith, our, our hope, we live in a world of people, of humanity, of men and women. And notice in verse 1 to 3, just a reminder of who we are. Each of us, each of these named individuals are made in the likeness of God. In verse 5, when God created man, excuse me, verse 1, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. And here's what's interesting. All of us, humanity, are made in the image of God. In a sense, royalty. In a sense, beauty, goodness, blessing. All that fills those first chapters of Genesis. And as we know, men and women sinned. Adam sinned and plunged the human race into, brought the curse into human race, the judgment of God, the judgment of death. But what we have here too is that Adam had a son in his own likeness. So you have that the son got what Adam got. He died. All of the people after them. Everybody who was flowed from Adam because of what Adam did passed away and died. So there's the simultaneous truth that we have in this world of the goodness that men and women, regardless of whether they trust Jesus or not, all men and women are made in the image of God. That we have blessing, we have goodness that can be unleashed in the world through men and women and fathers and sons and daughters. And as the generations go, we can see blessing, growth, but we also see fallenness, curse, death, sin. And so, all of the ones that flowed from Adam Adam, died. That refrain just continually reminding. And you can say, well, why in the world would I go here? Well, honestly, I didn't know what I was going to do this week. So I turned on Genesis, the King James Version. Kate kind of laughed at me in the car. <laughs> because <laughs> it accidentally came on when my phone connected to it. But as I was driving and just listening, this, this Genesis 5 came up as it was going through. And I was just reminded, and he died, and he died. And sometimes death can feel like it's all around. This is a moment when we sense it very strongly of someone that we love. Um, it's been one of those weeks and really several weeks where I've just known a lot of different people, clients, business people, something else that happened at work of just a lot of death around, just a very sobering reminder of that reality and that we do not want to ignore it. So we live in a culture that ignores it and we need to remember that reality for each of us. That the Bible says that it can give us a heart of wisdom when we remember it. But as I just heard this over and over again, it's a reminder, yes, this is the story since Adam. This is what happens. But I want you to notice, too, that last verse that I read. This is the seventh person mentioned. And what's interesting is I believe in earlier in Genesis, there's another genealogy about Cain. And then you get to number seven is Lamech. And Lamech, this guy who, who um, killed a man and was bragging to all of his wives um, of kind of a negative line, Cain's line. And then here we have Seth's line and the line of 
Seth and you have Enoch and we have a disruption. We have a different kind of person in the genealogy. We have a man who walked with God. That's what he was known by. In a sense, that's what's on his headstone. Enoch, a man who walked with God. And Bob sent a message earlier this week to the elders that just simply said, Kathy won the race. And that's true. She won the race. And it can be a long race. Life can be a long race of ups and downs. And I was thinking, well, there's this picture of race. You can think of, wow, length, endurance, running, sweat, ups and downs, what happens in a race. But we also have this picture of walking day by day. What do you do? What are we called to do now? Just walk. Just walk. Walk in relationship with God. Tell Him your fears. Tell Him your concerns. Tell Him your worries. Tell Him your frustrations. That life should be just a day-to-day walk with the Lord. Sometimes we can focus on the race part, the big part, which is great. It is a race, but also just the simplicity of this. Enoch walked with God. He was in relationship with God. One commentator said it this way, Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him. The same terminology, walked with God, describes Noah, who comes later, as an especially righteous individual and connotes a life of consistent fellowship with God. The faithful devotion of this simple walk with God is precisely the piety fostered by the Old Testament. In contrast to the harsh legalism so often associated with it, Enoch shows that there is more to life than living and dying, which you see in this refrain. Person lives, fathers, sons and daughters, then dies. That's the story. Lives, fathers, dies. Over and over and over again. This commentator says that it's in contrast with what's going on here. Enoch shows that there is more to life than living and dying. There is the possibility of consistent and steady relationship with God. And so I just wanted to encourage you with that. To keep walking. Just keep walking. One step at a time with God, with King Jesus. But I was thinking too, sometimes we can read a verse like this and we can kind of think, well, wow, God took him and there's this sense of, of, of that he just was no more. So there was this sense in which he was just with God. He walked with God and then he was automatically with him. He did not die. We have that here. But sometimes I think we can read that and kind of go, well, wait a second. Well, wow, then is, is this kind of by works? As long as I'm walking with God and doing the right thing, then God's going to love me kind of a thing. But we know from the New Testament that this wasn't just that Enoch walked with God, he did all the right things, and his works were great, and so he got to go be with God and he got to escape everything else. Because you read in Hebrews 11, verses 5 to 6, by faith Enoch was taken up by faith. Enoch was taken up. So actually, Enoch was somebody who trusted in the Word of God, trusted in what he couldn't always see. By faith, he was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had, had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Yes, he pleased God. But how do you please God? You please God by faith. And this is where we get the next verse that's usually on coffee cups. And without faith, it is impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So that's the life of Enoch. is a walk of faith. 
It is a walk of faith. We are saved by faith. And Enoch, too, was saved by faith. Pleased God by faith. Believed that God existed. That He rewards those who seek Him. And so know that that, that life, that your walk is a walk of faith. Is a walk of personal relationship with God. Just a simple picture. Sometimes we can overcomplicate things. Just a simple picture of what it is to be a Christian. We also learn something else about Enoch in, in Jude. This is kind of a more intense context. Kind of think of Enoch's piety and his closeness with God, but we also learn that Enoch wasn't afraid to speak of judgment. And of course he would not be. He saw it. He saw death. He saw curse. He saw all that came from the line of, of Adam. In Jude, this is in the context of false teachers. And in the New Testament, one writing to people warning against false teachers. And there's this big list of all these things that these false teachers do. And then in verse 14, the New Testament writer says, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all of the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. So there was also this sense in which Enoch was a person who knew that judgment was coming. and something that we don't often want to think about, but that is absolutely true. That judgment is coming. That death will one day be judged and that all who do not trust Christ and who walk in an ungodliness will also be judged. So yes, Enoch has a very simple walk with God. And he also has a very clear understanding that judgment was coming. And notice too in verse 16, I'm just always struck by some of the things we highlight. Obviously, we've been covering a lot of things in 1 Corinthians, a lot of things in regards to sexual immorality, but I just want to notice too, what are some of the things that he highlights? These are grumblers. I've been convicted lately in my life of complaining and grumbling and how that should not be characteristic of someone who walks with God. Malcontents. I was like, what in the world is that? So I kind of looked it up. Pertaining to a tendency to constantly find fault, constantly blaming, fault finding. Judgment is coming for that kind of attitude. Following their own sinful desires, they're loudmouth boasters. Do you ever hear that? Do you ever see that in our world? Showing favoritism to gain advantage and that judgment is coming. But there's another genealogy that comes later in the New Testament. Again, we always want to think about our life of faith as the, as the whole picture. That's why we go back to Genesis to, to, to learn about the way that the world is. But also there is another disruption. There is another person that comes in the line of Adam. There's, a, there's another person you can trace all the way back in a genealogy, the boring things that we're like, why are we reading this? <laughs> takes up so much of our Bibles. They're names. They're people. Of course it would. This is life. Fathering, death, next son, next son, next son, next daughter, next mom, over and over and over again. That's life. Well, there's a, another disruption we have in, in, in Luke. In Luke 3, 
You have another genealogy that where does it go? It goes all the way back, naming some of these same people, showing that God had a plan, that God had a purpose. Even in, even in this ugliness of sin and death and all that unleashed in the world, that God made a promise in Genesis that He was going to send one to crush the serpent. He was going to send another to rescue the world. That through Eve, there would be somebody else who would come. And we see that in Matthew, excuse me, in Luke 3. It's right at the beginning of his ministry. He's about 30 years of age. This is verse 23. Being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai. Don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole thing. We're going to go down a little bit. The son of Methuselah, this is verse 37, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And so here comes another disruptor, Jesus Christ, the promised one. Jesus, another one who walked with God. How is Jesus characterized, in, especially in the book of John? You see, he was a man who did the will of God. He walked with them every day. He prayed. He talked to them. Sometimes we can just think about, is Jesus God? Yes, Jesus is God, 100%. Jesus is also man. And these genealogies remind us that He is all man. And He was a man who walked in consistent, perfect relationship with God. He said, hey, the will of God is like food. It's like what I eat every day. That's the intent of life, to be walking with my Father. Jesus also talked about judgment, the reality that that judgment was coming. So Jesus is Enoch, but he is even better than Enoch. He had solidarity with the human race even more than Enoch did. Enoch was taken. Jesus came in to suffer. That Jesus came in to take on all suffering. That Jesus came in as the representative who was going to kill death by entering it. That he knew the wholeness all the way of what it meant to be a human being and also of what it meant to face the curse. Not because he deserved it. right? He didn't deserve any of the judgment. He didn't deserve any of the condemnation. But he took it. He took it as the substitute. As a new head of humanity that no longer were all the effects of Adam going to be unleashed on the world, that, there, that he was going to come and unleash something new, that he was going to come and unleash righteousness and grace and forgiveness, and that he was going to be a new representative. And I was reminded of what did Jesus do at his death? Luke 23, 39 to 43. Luke 23, 39-43. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today 
you will be with me in paradise. So here are criminals on the cross. One of them railing at Jesus. Can't you save me? This, this, this attitude of railing and anger. But it was his fault. He's the one that deserved to be there. That criminal deserved it. And he just railed against it, accusing God, accusing Jesus. Accusation. Not recognizing his own sin, his own deserving of judgment. But the other gets it. The other rebukes him. Knows that he deserves his judgment. And what does he do? He looks to Jesus. This is kind of, this isn't Enoch. This isn't a life of Enochness, of walking with God. This here is a life of somebody who did not fear God. But at that last moment, at that last moment, he looked to Jesus. And that's all any of us have to do. That's all any of us have to do. We just look to Jesus. And what does Jesus say to this man? He says, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. He got it. This man over here did not deserve any punishment, did not deserve any judgment. He did everything right. He walked with God properly all through his life. And he, of course, was the God-man come to rescue the world. And he gets it. What does he do? Something amazing? No. Faith. That's what he did. He trusted. He believed. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, truly I say to you, today, just love that, today you'll be with me in paradise. So anybody who looks to Jesus and trusts Jesus, that day of death, entrance into life, eternal life with Christ. So that's the good news. That anybody who dies, who has trusted Christ, no matter what the history of life is, that's the scandal of it, but that's the radical grace of God, can be with Jesus forever can be with Him in paradise. So just a reminder of you know, what lineage are you in? What genealogy? There's only two. There's Adam and all of those effects. And there's Christ and all of His effects of radical righteousness and grace and mercy and peace. Eternal peace. Because we know that resurrection one day is coming. Who are you trusting? Who are you walking with? 1 Corinthians 15. We've read it many times the last several weeks and months. Just the great picture of the good news of, of the Gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection. Now he says that it's of first importance and he gives evidence. Where's First Corinthians? <laughs> Somewhere in here. There we go. Thank you. Just before number two. And in those first several verses of First Corinthians 15, he just refer, he just rehearses the good news, the most important thing. And he gives evidences, and I was struck by this of a very sad. Thing of reading, it was Christopher Hitchens. I don't know if you knew who he was. He was, a, he was a writer and an atheist, as far as I know, all the way to the end. But he kind of talked about fear and the fear of death and people praying for him. But basically that, that, that somehow that fear would overtake reason. But that's a wrong view of what 
Christianity is. It isn't just that we are so afraid of death. And everybody is enslaved to death. doesn't matter who you are. You're, in, you're enslaved to that kind of fear. But I was just kind of talking about this idea of like fear, of that well, reasons to triumph over fear. But, and sometimes we can act as if we don't have evidence, as if it's just kind of an experience. But just reminding again of 1 Corinthians 15 and, and the way that he is saying, hey, this happened in history. Jesus was a real man. Jesus died. He appeared to a bunch of people. As we talked about on Resurrection Sunday, he appeared to, to women and that they spread the good news and their, their views wouldn't have even been held up in court. And just all of this evidence of that Jesus actually really defeated death and is alive. And so it's not just this, you, you, you trust Christ, you kind of leave all reason behind, you leave your brains at the door, so to speak. No, that's not Christianity. Paul is preaching a message of people's experience with him and then giving evidences of it. And so just to remind yourself that, that the resurrection is rooted in, in history, rooted in evidence, and that that death is certain, but resurrection is also even more certain. And to just encourage you with that. Look at verse 12. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Remember, these are people just caught up on spirituality and kind of vagueness and super-spiritual, hyper-spiritual. Maybe there's no resurrection of the dead. And he's like, you're missing the entire point. Jesus is alive bodily. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. All this good works, all this do this or don't do that or live a certain way or come to church, all those different things, that does not even matter if Jesus is not alive. Just as a reminder, Jesus is alive. He goes on, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Again, everything that we do here is ridiculous and foolishness if Jesus is not alive. And that Jesus is alive. If in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man, here we go, came death, the genealogy, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So, again, the good news that Jesus has destroyed death. That we have the hope of the resurrection of the body. And that all the effects of Christ, the great power of grace in Romans 5, it does a very similar thing of kind of stacking up what Adam did and stacking up what Christ did and how Jesus came to reverse all of the effects of death by entering into it. He even took the judgment, the judgment that Enoch proclaimed. Here, Enoch is zapped away. Enoch is in personal relationship with God, speaking of judgment and all those things. What does Jesus do? Oh, he walks with God perfectly. He proclaims the judgment perfectly, but then he enters into the death. He takes the judgment. He is the greater Enoch. He is the one 
who reverses all of the effects of what Adam had done. He is our hope. He is our hope. He is our champion. Hebrews 2 talks about that. Or talks about him as a forerunner, and some people talk about that that word could have to do with, you know, he's the pioneer of our salvation, that he is the champion. He is the one that comes and defeats death. That's the passage that speaks of how all of humanity is enslaved to death. And Jesus entered into solidarity with all of humanity, entered into the suffering and defeated it and crushed it. And so we should be encouraged in that. He is our champion. He can defeat the thing that is certain for us that we cannot defeat. We see the ugly effects of even right now and that Jesus has won, that He is the champion. I wanted to kind of end with just the last few points in Revelation just to kind of go from the very beginning to the very end. Revelation 20. Then I saw, this is verse 11, a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And I just love that picture. That somehow death itself. Sometimes we think of the lake of fire as a place of judgment for non-believers, which is true. It just said that. But it's also the judgment for death. That death is a an evil disruption that should not have been in the line and now it is going to be destroyed and cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. God's desire to make His dwelling with His people. What happened in the garden, perfect dwelling relationship. But this even more, this even more that God's desire is to be with His people. The unmediated presence of God personally, forever. Reversing death. Wiping every tear from eyes. Which it's okay to have tears now. It's okay to suffer and grieve now. We don't act as if death is kind of not a big deal. Sometimes, sometimes as Christians, we can kind of just run over it, kind of quickly go to the resurrection. We see clearly here the enemy of death, the grief of it, almost the anger toward it. And that's okay. Grief is okay. Grief is real. But yes, we grieve, but we grieve with hope. This kind of hope that Jesus is alive, that one day God will come and reverse all of this. 
Chapter 22, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. They will see His face. I was struck. There was another person that passed away this week that I did not know, but definitely positively has influenced me to seek Jesus, and that was pastor and author Tim Keller. And Keller passed away this week and his son threw up some things that he had to say on social networking. This was just right before he passed when he was on hospice. And this is what was said. This is the son speaking. Over the past few days, he has asked us to pray with him often. He expressed many times through prayer his desire to go home to be with Jesus. His family is very sad because we all wanted more time. But we know he has very little at this point. In prayer, he said two nights ago, and this is Tim, I'm thankful for all the people that have prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time God has given me. But I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. And then just kind of struck by that phrase, we will see his face. And just, is that your longing and your desire to be with King Jesus? To see the face of the One who defeated death. Who forgives every and all kinds of sinners who would trust Him. The longing to see the face of Jesus Christ. Personally. Singing about that blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. That, that famous Old Testament blessing that they would say over the people of Israel. But, but it was still not the personal face. But yet that's the heartbeat. That's the desire to see the very shining face and beauty of God. And that that's what all of us are made for. And one day, that is what we will see. And again, How? I've done this, that, or the other thing. I've done all this just as, a, just as a reminder, but that's who Jesus came to rescue. He came to rescue sinners. He came to rescue grievers. He came to rescue people that had no hope, that could not help themselves out of facing death, the certainty of it. And He came to rescue us, that one day we would see the Rescuer, the Savior, by His face. And He would personally wipe away the tears from your eyes. And so, that's good news. That's good news. I always just emphasize in this communion table, it's to remind us of that it's real. That it's real. The shed blood of Jesus Christ. The body broken. And that one day, we will experience that. And the joy of being with Him forever. And so, let's remember what He has done.
today in communion.
And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Let's take the cup this time. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes, and it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Let's take the bread. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name.